Oh. Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode 287, uh, I am very lucky, privileged, a delight to have uh, Richard Thompson on the podcast. He is a former Navy SEAL. He is a master coach at You Versus You, consultant, public speaker, and real estate entrepreneur. How are you today, sir? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. Appreciate being on. Uh, I am intrigued because uh, I will say this. In my research in, on yourself, sir, I came across a YouTube video where you, 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 you evil man, you put two YouTubers <laughs> through the works. I mean, like, yeah wet, miserable, cold, getting lifting all kinds of things, and you give them the classic Navy SEAL sugar cookie uh, on a couple of occasions, like, well, not a couple of occasions, all the time. <laughs> Sand everywhere. <laughs> what can I say? That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was with Leon Hendricks mm. and Matt. And so that was an experience, and we, we put people through those experiences and I'll sum it up this way because I get asked a lot about my experience in Hell Week and it's training to become a Navy SEAL. And that video that you saw was uh, a way in which to have the civilian population have a, a taste of what training may be like. It's nowhere near that level, but it meets people where they're at. Mm. But what I say to people, like when you go through a, a an episode of Hell Week or a a segment of it. And for those of you who are not in the U S and may have no idea what a Navy SEAL is, you know, we're a special force within the Navy and we get called on to do things. Usually our, our history is you know, like one foot in the water, one foot on land. And after nine 11, a lot of things changed, but this process in which to become a Navy SEAL, one of the introductory challenges you go through is called buds and basic underwater demolition seal training. And within the first phase of three, well, week four, five, depending on the time of year and when you go through, uh, there's a phase called Hell Week. And you'll see it in like Discovery Channel and it's pretty well publicized. It's not classified. So it, people can talk about it. And it's five and a half days of nonstop training. So you get about three hours of sleep on like night three or four and it's just enough just where you're like, that's bullshit. They didn't really let me go to sleep. Like, there's no way I just slept three hours, right? So before you go into sleep in the tent, they put you in the water. You're frozen. Guys are huddled. We're hugging each other. We're shaking so bad. We're just trying to look for warmth any way possible on our cots. And I never knew that you could fall asleep standing up. I never knew you could fall asleep running. But your body will find a way to sleep. Your body wants to recover. And so it's not like, hey, I partied all night. I'm really tired. I know what that's like. Mm. It's like, no, you don't know what it's like not to have sleep or to physically train for 24 hours. Like that's a long time, right? To be pushed. So I tell people all the time, I wouldn't wish hell week on my worst enemy, but I wish every one of my friends and family had the gift of that experience. Because who I became on the other side of that is a different person. 
So like in most things in our life where it's challenging and it becomes really valuable to be able to take away the learning and the nuggets from that, that I wouldn't have built like somebody say, okay, I'm just going to give you a free pass. You don't actually have to go through that. You don't really want to do that. And my body and my brain would probably say, oh, hell yes, I wouldn't want to go through that. Logically, it would make no sense. But I would never have wanted to miss that experience. I wish everybody had the gift of that. And we're able to give that to people like Leon and Matt in a way that has a taste of the beauty and the the gift of that hard work, that gift of wanting to quit, the gift of wanting to just give up, the gift of pushing yourself right to that point where you think you have no more and go on the other side of it to where it's like, wow, I was just scratching the surface of what's possible. This human being, this human machine, we're capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. But how often do we take ourselves to that place where it's like, I've got nothing left and you push through that perceived barrier because that's all it is. It's just like this paper wall that we think is so real. And sometimes we have to just get pushed and choose to go right through it and going, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? What else am I making up about myself? What else am I making up about my limitations? So that's really what the gift is. It's like, and it's like a Pandora's box. You don't get to go back in. Once you do that, you don't get to go, well, you know, yeah, that was, man, I can't do this. It's like bullshit. You can do anything. There's nothing you can't do. You're choosing not to. And that's a big difference, right? For myself, it's like all the time I'm catching myself going, oh, I can't do that. Or, oh, that's pretty big. And you're like throwing up the bullshit flag. Like, no, yeah, you can. Yeah. I am very curious. Now, you have gone through Hell Week. You give the experience to other people about Hell Hell Week, everything like this. Mm -hmm. Who were you before you actually went through this sort of baptism of, like, five days of fire? Uh, Like, what was your sort of outlook and mentality? Like, there had to be something uh, there to, like, go, hey, I'm going to join the service in the Navy SEALs. Yeah. So do you want to know why I went into the Navy? I I would love to know. Come on. So this is, (laughs) this is pretty fun because most people are like, what? Are you kidding me? That's crazy. So I, I, I love playing sports growing up, right? If it, if it was a ball and it was competition, I'm jumping in, let's go. Mm -hmm. And so as I started growing up, and I'm playing football was my sport of choice at that time. But what I lacked in size, I did not make up for in speed. Right. So I knew that that was going to close up on me real fast. Right. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, but I want to compete. Right. I love just getting the snot bubbles and just, yeah. just cracking heads. What position right? did you play? I was inside linebacker, fullback, and kicker. So I just loved doing that. Right. And we went to the, I grew up in the LA Unified School District in LA area. We got to like the city championship and stuff. And um, we ended up losing that game when I was in my senior year. But that's when I got to play against guys that were like 6'5", you know, 300 pounds. And I'm like, okay, this is not Crenshaw High School. This is Crenshaw College that we're playing here. It's like these are grown men. (laughs) And I'm I'm like 165 pounds. 
about the same size I am now, but I'm just a little bit heavier now. But it's like, wow, like that's what speed looks like. Yes. These guys were running circles around me. And that's what size looks like. And some of those guys had size and speed. I'm like, and I got none of that. Hoo-yah, here we go. <laughs> and so uh, I also fell in love at that time. Uh, my aunt and uncle took me on a trip and they're like, hey, we play golf. You want to, do you play golf? I'm like, that's for old people. What are you talking about? And I was like 15. It's like, oh, we play golf. I'm like, okay. So I grabbed my dad's set and took it with us. And I remember the first time I played, I said, there's no way it could be that hard. Like, there's nobody trying to tackle me in my backswing. Nobody's trying to block the cup, right? I'm like, this is going to be easy. And as soon as I played, I fell in love with it. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. The ball's not even moving. And I'm hitting the thing all, I'm missing it. I'm chunking it. I'm, And then I'm in these environments that are so beautiful. I'm like, man, there's power, there's finesse. I loved it. And I'm like, and you can do this for a living, man. And so from there, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to go on tour. That's what I'm doing. And so I just started playing nonstop. That was my sport. And then I actually found out you can actually go to college and learn how to uh, play the game, right? Because the only reason I had like a 2.0 in high school is because to play sports, you had to have a 2.0 or higher, right? <laughs> I was not I was not a student. Thankfully, they had a 2.0 or it had been a 1.0 or less. And so I would just be scraping by. I never thought I was a very good student. And then when uh, golf came into my life, I'm like, this is what I'm doing. I went to junior college to study golf management, right? And I wanted to play. I didn't want to manage. I wanted to play. I want to compete. And so there's a kid behind me in LA that was a year younger than me. His name is Tiger Woods. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. Never heard of that guy. Yeah. And by 15 to me (laughs) and he was, he was in that world and he had won everything when I'm just getting started. I'm like, all right, how do I beat this guy? Cause I'm going to beat him. I'm going to find a way to win. And so I'm like, how do I, like, he's just an amazing, like by 15, he's won everything in the juniors. I'm nobody. I'm like, I'll find a way to beat him. And it's like, how do I do that? And his dad is a former Green Beret. And his dad on the golf course used to like jiggle change in his pockets and cough in his backswing. And Tyler's like, dad, why do you do that to me? And he's like, because I'm going to make you more mentally tough than anybody you play against. And I always thought, man, that is awesome, Right. It's like, okay, that's like, how do I get that? How do I get that type of mental discipline? And uh, so I'm like, I don't know. And I'm walking through the library at school and there's a magazine cover. And on the front, these guys are like wet and sandy. You know, they're screaming. They got a log in their hand. And it said something like, are these the toughest guys in the world? Like, all right, I'll bite. I was like 19 at the time. And I start reading through this article it's like Newsweek or something. And it talks about Navy SEALs. It talks about SEAL training. And they're jumping out of planes and hunting terrorists and blowing stuff up. I'm like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. I like that. I like, I like all those things. And at the end of the article, it said something like, and they're the most mentally disciplined warriors on the face of the earth or something like that. And right in that moment, I had a seed planted in my head. I like, wouldn't it be cool to go become a Navy SEAL? And then when you're old, like 30, you can get out and then go play golf, right? And at that at that same moment, another voice in my head is like, all right, you're crazy. What the hell are you thinking that you're like, I hadn't, I didn't know what Navy SEALs were before then. And uh, I, I don't really have a military family. 
but that seed got planted and the only thing I come up with was why not? What stops you? Why not? Like who cares if you do or don't, but when you're old, like when you're at the end of your life and you look back going, what could have been, I'm like, I don't ever want to look back going, wow, what if I would have tried? What if I would have gone for that? And so I'm like, man, I got nothing holding me back. I wasn't married. You know, I, I didn't have any ties. I'm like, why not? Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? In my mind, the worst thing that could happen is never trying, never giving it a shot where I would just have to look back going, oh, I had a nice, safe career. But I'm just like, fuck that. I'm sorry if I'm cursing. Uh, you're, you're okay. I, okay. Uh, I, I believe adults listen to this. And if kids are listening to this as well, so be it. <laughs> right. so be. I want to make sure I get fired up and I start talking like a sailor. Uh, <laughs> but you but at that moment, <laughs> Yeah. At that moment, it was like, man, there is nothing stopping me. And so right away, I just like, all right, let's go. Let's go. And so I went to the recruiter, enlisted in the Navy. I said, this is what I'm going to do. How many SEALs have you had come through here? And he's like, I have none. I'm like, oh my, what? Like, oh, okay. Oh, uh, what? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'll be the first to come through this, right? And uh, in that moment, it was like constant making sure that I had decided, it wasn't just like, oh, is this something that sounds good in the moment? But mm. in that moment, I said, yeah, let's go. And so that's when I went on this path and I went in and uh, went into the teams, had a really good time there. And at that point, I was uh, doing a workup. I ended up, I blew my knee out, had it reconstructed and stayed in that platoon. And then went in on, when I got back from deployment, had to have another operation on it. And I had to make a call at that time. Like, do I continue in the teams or do I pursue this dream of playing professional golf? And at that time, when I was on deployment, I met my girlfriend, now my wife. And I said, Hey, here's my dream. Here's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Would you like to join me? You know, that type of thing. And, uh, she did it's the most incredible person I know. And uh, we went on this path of trying to become a PGA Tour player. So long story short, I went and pursued the path of PGA Tour. I just beat the shit out of myself on the golf course mentally. Never got really that good. I got good enough to see what really good players look like. Mm -hmm. And that was not me. So that was part of the other, the other shoe to drop. It was like, oh, I never really did get that. that it got like a scratch. Pretty good weekend golfer, you would say but nothing to make money at it. Right. But that was just part of the path, man. It was just like, oh, okay, cool. Not put it this way. Look, okay. Young tiger words back then. Uh, but like, by the time you went, Hey, you know what? I'm going to do golf. He was like, he was in the golf scene for a good 13 years. Also <laughs> when he was two years old than yeah. I ever did. Yeah. There is like there was a yeah he was on TV when he was about two or three and he was like going yeah yeah I was like okay yeah so yeah you had a you had the ways to catch up with him but uh, yeah I think one of the things for me is like um, giving him the gift of having people pursue him like that mm. that what 
brings out the best in him. I wish I would have become better so that I could have brought out the best in him, even more than what he thought he was capable of. And I wish each of us would pursue life in that way where I'm going to become the best version of myself. I'm going to become as good as I can mm. to inspire others to become as good as they can, whether it's coaching or being a father or whatever it is. It's like to demonstrate what's possible. Yeah. Right. No, and I what fires me up. Yeah. I hear you. And I, I agree. But this is the thing with people today, they get in their minds. This is what it should be. And quite often it is, how can I say, it's some Instagram reel of like the ideal life or the ideal career when they haven't yeah. really had a true test. Well, taste, I should say, of many different things. And then like going, you know what? This is where I kind of fit and develop their sort of skills and like, yeah, and moving forward in that sort of particular area and field to become the best they can be in that particular area. It could be baking, it could be cutting grass, it could be like being an accountant. I don't know, it's a myriad of things. But yeah, I just feel there is, well, not feel, I know there are a number of people out there which haven't just gone out there and went, okay, I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z. Let's see which one sticks or which one suits me best. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very personal path. I love it. And I I love getting the message out there. It's not an Instagram world. You know, mm. it's like, I, I can constantly remind myself because I'll see like a new actor bust out on the scene and I'll see him in like three or four movies in a row. I'm like, oh, that guy just came onto the scene, man. He came out of nowhere. And then you've learned about the background. It's like, yeah, 20 years of work to come out of nowhere. Mm. And it's like, oh, that's right. I constantly keep reminding myself that there's been a lot of work just because I'm not aware of him. Doesn't mean he hasn't been around for a long time doing the reps on a daily basis to get where he's at. And it's that constant reminder for me that people just don't show up one day and become a a, a superstar overnight, right? Yeah. I think that's one of the things I think people need to see a lot more uh, the reps what go into any sort of task or endeavor uh, because yeah it's great to see the sort of finished pro like product at the end of it but you don't actually see the dings and the battles and like you know what I mean the tests which come along which can be so defining um, because like the amount of times where you like oh yeah okay ah uh, I got through this like this tough moment in my life and yeah, but there must have been a number of different things along, like getting up to that point, which has made you a little bit stronger, made you a little bit like more wary, made like giving you the ability to handle it. But sure, you don't see it. Don't, yeah, but hardly see it these days. Yeah, and everybody, I would love to have everybody go through and choose the challenge stop waiting for the challenge to happen to them. So that's one of the things we learned in the teams is we relentlessly train mm -hmm. so that we know the challenge is coming. We know it will be here. Yes. And we constantly work and strive to become the best team we can be so that we can overcome whatever challenge we face. We never know what it's going to be. We just know it's coming. And it's like in life, we know in life, the challenge is coming. None of us get through life without challenges. Mm. That's maybe that's what life's about, right? It's kind of like problems. If we frame it as a problem, 
It's like, we, if we're breathing, we still have problems. Ideally, we're striving to have bigger and better problems, right? So I've had the pleasure of working with people and money's an easy one to look at, easy one to, to measure. And I've worked with people that have very little money. I've gotten to work for billionaires, you know, multi-billion, some of the wealthiest families in the world I've had the opportunity to uh, be car- part of security details for. Mm. They have problems. If you're a human, you have problems. The quality of your problems and the type of problems you have may be different, but everybody has problems, right? So people that think they want money and they're striving to get money and then all their problems will be finished, that's probably a very poor choice of pursuit. If you think your problems go away because you have something, maybe we reframe it instead of going, hey, I, instead of wanting not wanting problems and going, I want bigger and better problems. I want better quality problems. I want to think about how do I choose the charity of my choice? How do I cut a check for a million dollars to my charity? And how do I make sure that those funds get deployed in a way that I see fit? That's a pretty good problem. Instead of going, hey, how do I put another meal on the table? Right? They're both problems. What type of problems do you want? And if we try to not get rid of problems, there's a quote by Jim Rohn that I absolutely love. It's like, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills. And it's like, oh, that's an awesome way to look at it. Instead of me trying to go, oh, I need to get rid of these problems, reframe it in a way it goes, what type of problems would I really love to dive into so that I can make this a meaningful pursuit? And so that's been very helpful for me. And a lot of my way that I reframe my thoughts have been really helpful for me in my pursuit of what I think a worthy life is. Yeah, no. So with that uh, mindset, with regards to yourself, looking at Tiger's dad doing the jingling of like the change, like to make him more like mentally strong, like, yeah, you going, yeah, I want that. Going, looking at a magazine, which came up by chance saying the mentally less strongest. You must have a very good sort of perspective on that. When you come across someone who is, say, one way in their mindset where they might have more of a defeatist, like, outlook, and then if they go through your coaching, like, program, is there, like, a sort of moment where you can see the sort of spark go off in someone's eyes? And what has those moments been, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's some criteria I need in which to really be a great coach. Mm-hmm. And the first one is, are they coachable? Do they have a, a growth mindset? Carol Dweck, great book. Highly recommend it to everybody. Growth mindset, the book. And if somebody's fixed, has a fixed mindset and they're shut down and they're like, because I do a lot of, group work. I do keynotes and I talk to groups of people all the time. Mm. And in in any group of people that did not raise their hand and go, Hey, Rich, I want to pay you to have me coach them. There's going to be people that feel like they had to be there. Right. If you get a group of in a corporation or whatever it's going to be, there's going to be a percentage that are like arms folded. Like you can't teach me anything, man. I've heard all this stuff before, Mm. you know, this is all crap and foo foo and woo woo and all those things. Those people, they get to be right. And there's nothing that I can say that will change their mind. 
how I show up may invite them to maybe see a different way. But if they're locked in and they're absolutely going to be right, I, I don't have that superpower to be able to change them. They get to be right and they get to keep living and having the results they have in their life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Go for it. Usually the people that I can serve are the ones sometimes when they think they're right, but they get beat down to a point where they're just like, okay, this is no longer working for me. This is no longer serving me. Maybe there's some way, other way of looking at the world that would benefit me more to get the results that I want. And when people start to become open and they're like, hey, I'm looking, you know, that when the student's ready, the teacher appears type mentality, when they're open to learning, then I have the opportunity to present some information or maybe my way of being that allows them to see maybe the way they're thinking isn't getting the results they want. And maybe there's a new way that we can present information or paradigms or perspective that will get them closer to what they want faster and more effectively. Those are the type of people I can absolutely help. Right. So that's one of the criteria is like, are you open to coaching? I can't make anybody do anything. Like I can't, I can't, I don't have any magic pixie dust, but if I did, I'd sell it for a lot of money. Right. <laughs> and it'd be a lot easier, but that's the problem. Everybody wants it faster and easier. And that's really sexy to sell online. Mm. But reality is you're looking for that character development. We're looking for the, the type of certainty and growth that comes from doing the work that scares the shit out of you. Mm. Doing the work where you have to lean into it going, my brain is freaking out right now. This is really uncomfortable. And let's go. When you can get into that space where in your brain, it's like being, being human. When we lean into something that's uncomfortable or for like for the first time and we look really bad and we we're terrible at it, the brain wants to go, what are you doing? This is not fun. Stop doing what you're doing. We're going to die. <laughs> like that's what it sounds like in the head. And most people go, you're right. What am I doing? This is crazy. Let's stop. So that's in that moment, people think they're wrong. That's where a coach can become so valuable. And I wish everybody had the gift. Everybody deserves a coach. Either way, you can get it from a book, a podcast, one-on-one -on -one coaching group. Find a way to get a coach, mentor, whoever it needs to be. You need a new perspective, somebody to bounce ideas off, see what's possible. And so when you have that, that brain freaking out, let's say you're going for a goal something you've never done before, right? The brain's going to freak out, right? It's like the motivational triad, right? It wants to stay safe. It wants to be efficient, right? And it wants to seek pleasure. You're going against that. So let's say uh, there's a lot of people right now, it's the beginning of the year. There's yeah. a lot of people, let's say on a workout regimen, right? Going to the gym. They were motivated before, first few weeks. I was motivated now now it's starting to feel a lot like work. Now it's starting to feel like, man, I, Rich, I, I was going to go to the gym today, but I just didn't feel like it. And I go, whoever said you had to feel like it to go to the gym? And their mind just stops and goes, what is this guy talking about? There's people that go to the gym when they don't feel like it? Wait a minute, what is that? I thought I had to be motivated. It's like, who the fuck told you you had to be motivated to go to the gym? 
right? But that's just a concept that we have and understand that when you don't feel like going to the gym, you're human. Welcome to the club. Most times when I work out, I don't feel like it. I don't wait to feel motivated to work out, to go work out. I know my brain's going to go, why are we going to do this? Didn't you do something like this yesterday? Your body's sore. There's no reason to do this. Why don't you just sit on the couch, drink a 12 pack and watch the game? That sounds a lot more exciting than actually going in there and pushing myself again, right? The brain and people think, oh, that's what I should do because that's what's being told in my head. And we get to think about it in a slightly different way going, that's my brain doing what my brain does. That's what it's designed for, that part of it. It's gotten us really far on this world so far. Then there's a prefrontal cortex that goes, okay, I have a dream. I have a goal. I have this self-actualizing part of me that wants to become a better version. Now you have this tension between the two, right? So you've got this part of you that wants, oh, I want 10% body fat. I want to be able to do, you know, a bunch of pull-ups. I want to be able to pick up my grandkids over my head when I'm 80 years old, right? But the body in the moment's like, dude, just relax. Life is short. Have a 12 pack, watch the game, right? And the brain is doing exactly what it's wired to do. Now it's a choice. What, which one are you going to go with? You're not wrong either way, but you just get to make that choice where people go wrong is they think, oh, I'm just, I think like this. So I'm one of those people. Like I'm, I'm not motivated. I'm lazy. I'm all these things because my brain tells me this. It's like, no, your brain is doing what it's wired to do. It's wired to seek pleasure. It's wired to be efficient, right? It's wired to stay safe. Now, when we look at that paradigm, if we go, is that true? Of course, my brain's going to tell me not to work out today because that's not efficient. That's not pleasurable, right? That's that short term. Long term, it's very pleasurable, right? Once you get into the habit of doing it, then it's like anything else. You're like, oh, I feel better when I actually work out. But getting through that that river of misery, that valley is very daunting for a lot of people because they think, well, I'm just not motivated like everybody else. And I'm looking around going, who the, f who, who, who's motivated every day? And why would motivation be the key to get you into the gym? Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, if we let that go and we just go, look, what if you went to the gym, even when you don't feel like it? And who said you had to feel like it to actually go to the gym? And most people I talk to are like, hmm. Really? Is, is that a thing? Or are you just really, you go to the gym when you don't feel like it? It's like, yeah. And how do I do that? I have to have something bigger than how I'm feeling in the moment. Yeah. Right. And that's when we get into like, you hear people talk about purpose and having a why something bigger than yourself. Those are all tools to allow you to do the things we don't feel like doing it. But I think a lot of people can benefit from understanding that when when everything in your head's like, man, I just don't feel like doing it today. I'd rather just sit on the couch or, you know, the alarm clock goes off. I told everybody I was going to get up at pick a time, five o'clock, six o'clock, whatever it is for you. And the alarm goes off. And in that moment, what happens in the brain? Oh, it's so comfortable underneath these covers. It's still dark outside. You know, you, you, you worked hard yesterday. You know, you got up early yesterday. 
And you know what? You don't have an appointment for at least another hour. So you've, you can stay in for another 15 minutes. It's not going to kill you. You know, you're a lot more, it's a lot more comfortable here. And you know, it's cold. And as soon as I get the covers back then it's cold and blah, blah. Like the brain is trying to justify why you should be able to hit the snooze or just turn off the alarm completely. And most people beat themselves up for that. And if we can realize that that's just my brain doing what my brain does. I appreciate you brain. You're just trying to conserve energy, right? You're trying to be efficient. You just, you want to seek the pleasure of being in the bed, right? You just got woken up by the alarm and that's not pleasurable. It's pleasurable just to stay where you're at. It's nice and comfortable in bed. If you get up and think about doing like a workout, oh, really? And the brain's just like constantly trying to talk you out of that. So that's when you have to, or you get to, you don't have to do anything. You get to choose like, oh, I appreciate brain. You're doing exactly what you're designed to do. I love you. And now I'm going to get out of bed and go do what I said I was going to do. And if people have that part of them, it's just training. It's just training. It's like what I learned in the teams. We don't rise the level of our expectations. We simply default to the level of our training. That's our Kilikis. It's thousands of years old. And for a lot of people, it's like, wow, okay. So I can just relentlessly train and become a superhero. Absolutely. Most people would rather go, well, I'm just going to go watch John Wick. And, you know, I saw that scene where he gets like three guys with a pencil and a bar. Like if it really happened, I might be able to pull something like that off. Right. And the brutal reality is, that's really going to be a painful ending for you, right? <laughs> so if we can fall in love with the work, if we can fall in love with the daily grind of doing the work, we learn or can learn to really love the process, knowing that all these skills that we like learned in the teams are perishable. Most of the skills that we learn are perishable. So if you're a rock star 20 years ago, like most people would go, okay, I did a marathon 20 years ago. So I should be able to lace up the sneakers and do a marathon today, right? Because I've done it. I did it before. Uh, you could. Right? How about yeah. you? Hey. <laughs> and most of the skills in life are like that. We have to constantly train them if we really want to be good at them. Relationship building, training, working out. It's one of those obvious one with the physical work. Well, it's no different with the mental work or the emotional work. We're all, it's a constant, it's not like, oh yeah, I was good. You know, I had a tough relationship 20 years ago and we learned to work through that one. So I should be good. It's like, no, it's this constant work on ourselves, constant work on relationship, constant work on our physical being like it. And we have biases that we can't see by trying to do our own self-coaching all the time. I love self-coaching. It's great. But what I've heard and learned is we can't read the label from inside the bottle. So for me, it's like, oh, I think I've got it figured out when I have all my thoughts in my head. I'll figure it out. I should be able to figure it out. You know, I'm a male. You know, I, I'm supposed to be a leader. I should be able to figure this shit out. Right. And then we keep tap dancing and getting the same results going, man. All right. Obviously, the people that I'm leading suck. Because I must be a good leader and the people I'm leading must suck. And the brutal reality is, eh, no, the people are fine. You're just not developing as a leader in which to 
get the results that you want. And that's where it's like real punch to the face. It's like, all right, if we're willing to embrace that going, okay, I don't have all the answers. Me as personally, I've got a lot more questions than answers. And I love that. I love thinking that like, I'm not here to give answers. I'm here to give questions because that's a lot more empowering to other people than to feed them answers. And that's what a coach does. Ideally, a coach will one demonstrate what's possible, right? That's what a leader will do. They lead from the front, demonstrate what's possible, and then ask questions that allow people to see how powerful they really are. Now you bring up several, several good points. And like, this is the thing, one of the, like, one of the sort of key aspects I take away from that between motivation and discipline and like this is the thing motivation is like to me it's always the spark to get things like it get to get things started when you first get things going first of all with any sort of endeavor or sometimes a tough day but to get you to show up on the regular every time it's the discipline uh you put into play and that comes in the form of systems and routines you can like put into your life to make that easier for you because look trust me today in the uk uh it's like minus it was like minus four celsius cold cold yeah cold i don't like the cold but yeah i was out doing my 10 mile run uh this morning and i was uh, going okay got it done came back yeah thick up like thick gloves yeah cold to the bone I don't like running for me. It's more a sort of meditation thing, but mm. I like, I go, yeah, I, in my sort of workout week, I have to run three times a week. Just like, right. That's it. I don't have, I'm not going to go. Yes. I must run a set distance. I'm not going to do this, but the minimum is I run double digits each and like for all of my runs, double digits. So it could be 10 miles, to like up to yeah that's your standard yeah and i try not to drop below that because i sort of dip in and out for running like i i forget how good it is for me mentally not so much the physical but the mental side of it i forget i drift away from it for about a few months then i come back to it because i did the london marathon last year I'm yeah. like, I was like, yeah, did that. I was like, okay, but you should have seen me. No, oh, you should have seen my sorry site. Uh, like at the end of June, uh, like I did uh, a half marathon, Lemon and Spa. And like, this is a thing. I was like, okay, I've been running. Uh, yeah, been doing a few weeks of running, doing right. a half marathon distance. And one of the things you forget when you're running together with a group of people, me, I like, little competitions start kicking off in my head so i'm keeping yeah. up with that person keeping up with that person like my garmin said to me the time like if i'm running if at that point if i was running okay i'd be like around about yeah 45 50 minutes for like four minute like for four mile four mile laps when it said to me oh yeah you have like yeah first lap like 38 minutes I was like, oh no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But it's one of those things. I I didn't have the sort of discipline in place to like make sure I was ready, prepared for that. I I was motivated, yeah, 
but didn't have the discipline. And I think a lot of people get that mistaken. The, you need the motivation. Motivation, 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 motivation. When it's truly motivation is just a spark to get things going. And it's all about discipline and systems in place. I, I could be like, I might be wrong about this, but like from what you're saying, you I think you might be on the same page as me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I would never make anybody wrong, right? We're all on this path to learn and mm. it's their perspective, right? It's your perspective today. And you know what? When I talk to you a year from now, it's going to be a different perspective. And how do I know? Because we're pushing the envelope of what we know is possible for us. Mm. So as we lean into being uncomfortable, then we have the opportunity for even newer and cleaner and clearer perspectives. So you may come back a year from now going, it's absolutely motivation and discipline and this. And you'll have that certainty because you do the work. And one of the things I love to tell people all the time is don't take anything I say as the truth. I don't have the truth. This is my truth, right? I, this is my truth. This is like a little T, not the big T. So don't take anything I say as the truth. This is simply what I've learned up to this point in my life. And if you hear me a year from now, it will be cleaner and clearer and more concise because I will continue to lean into being uncomfortable for my growth. So me as a coach, me as a father, me as a husband, a year from now will be completely different and better than what I am today. No different than what I told, like I had the opportunity to work with the Philadelphia Flyers, a hockey team. I said, when you see me coach you two years from now, I will be a different person. I will demand it of myself because my standard continually as a warrior, I strive to become a better version of myself so that I can serve. And so leaning into that is motivating to me. It inspires me in a way that goes, man, I'm just getting started. I'm just scratching the surface of what's possible. I don't even know what's possible. And what the hell does that mean anyway? Right? So we get to what we think is the, the top of a mountain. Like, oh, once I get to there, I've got it all figured out. And what happens is we get there and we realize it's just a false summit. Uh. Right now we have a new awareness going, I thought that was my peak, man. That's just a resting point. Let's go. Mm. Yeah. I think we need like with regards to many people with motivation and like achieving a goal or a target. Uh, you see this all the time with sports, like people like, yeah, I want to be the world champion of the world in boxing. Or I want to like, yeah, our team needs to win this league title. Soon as they achieve that goal soon as they've got to that place it's like it's the the night of winning it's the best night ever it's fantastic it's brilliant it's sensational but the morning of the next day it's sometimes the worst day for these people because it's like right what do we do now rather than yeah. looking at it in a sort of an infinite game where you've got to keep on like just carry it's not about winning or losing. It's about playing the game until the day you drop uh, to like keep on improving, to keep on getting better, to keep on seeing where how far you can go. It's just like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it, oh, it's finite when it's truly not at the end of the day. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a good point because I've heard that as well. Like, especially it's easier to see in like professional athletes because their lifespan in the sport's so short. And they have the same thing with people like astronauts that work years to have the opportunity to go on a mission and into space. And they come back and they're like, huh, well, I guess that was the peak of my career. Mm. And they have like a depression, right? It's, it's like they work so hard. And then it's like, that was the apex of my life. My work career depends on how they see themselves, right? So a lot of people, and I see this happen as well, when they identify, their identity is tied to their job. Mm. So most people, I'm a Navy SEAL. It's like, well, that's the job you do in the Navy, right? So a lot of people, I'm a professional football player. I'm a whatever, right? And they go through this career and they identify themselves with being that job. And like any job at the end of that career, at the end of that line, then it's like, what's next? Like, oh, I'm done. Like, I'm done. Mm. And it's like, no, that phase of your life, that part, that job, that career is done. You're not done. So when people identify themselves as their job, it becomes really difficult for that person, that depression, that, that letdown. And it's natural to have, you know, work hard for something like a championship and have that letdown. That's like a natural curve. And then we can overcome where it gets dangerous is when people identify themselves as that career. And so uh, that's one of those things. If people feel like their, their identity is tied to their career, who they are, that can be a, a difficult position for a lot of people more than just depression. I have to ask, did you have that figured out when you left the seals uh, to basically become a golfer and then like from being a golfer to like, yeah, what was after that? No, I would say the, the skills I had we're nowhere compared to what I have now. Like going through the teams was more just sheer aggression mm. and just like you, I'll fucking show you. Like when you whip a dog and most dogs just fall over and some dogs just stare you back down. Oh, it's yeah. like, that was the mentality I had, right? So my upbringing, I remember it was really obvious to me when we were in the first part of buds and there were guys you just looked at them you're just like i remember line up on the grinder and this guy to the left of me i look over and this guy i'm just like holy shit he's like 6 220 just a rock of a human being right just like okay that's what a navy seal looks like right in my mind and then I look over to my right and there's the guy I've been training with. Like since he came out of the womb, he had a little knife in his mouth and he's like, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. I'm like, okay, that wasn't me. I've, I, this is pretty new to me. Right. So I'm and the instructor, at the front, our proctor, he said, statistically less than one of you will make it out of the three of us. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so the odds of, for me are pretty low. All right. Nice. <laughs> And I just signed four years of my life to the U.S. Navy, right? So <laughs> like, if, if you don't make it through buds, you don't just get to go home. You just go out onto a ship, right? Thank oh. you very much. The Navy appreciates your service. You'll be out on a ship, right? And so it's like, all right, here we go. And sure enough, like once we got started, what 
the SEAL training is really good at is finding people who can withstand adversity, finding people who can, when they get knocked down, they continue to just relentlessly get back up. Mm. And that's tough to identify because you can't see it from the outside. So you can't see it from a guy that is just a hulk of a human being. So it always fascinated me because once we got through the first few weeks, that big guy gone. Why is that? Because he, as soon as he couldn't do anything right, and this happens to quite a few people, they're used to being the all-American, you know, the the captain of the team, you know, everything they do is just perfect. And they've never had to overcome just relentless failure after failure after failure and be able to keep working through it because the instructors are world-class to be able to go in and just make you look stupid. Like whatever you say, you're going to be wrong, right? Whatever you do, it's going to be the worst class ever. I can't believe this. This, you know, We're just going to shut down the SEAL training because these are all retards going through here. Like this is the worst thing ever, right? And you'll just hear stuff like that all the time. And if you take it personally, it'll just crush you. But if you learn to go, hey, I'm still going. I'm still here. Keep moving forward. That's the person they want. That's they they want to know that whatever's said and done, it's that spirit inside, that warrior within that will just find a way to make it happen. And so those guys that end up and I, I talk to people about it, like when I was going through, one of the things I had going for me was a a difficult upbringing in a way that allowed me, like you'll hear the term to be able to detach. Mm-hmm. So when things got tough and people got in my face and screaming at me, like some of the instructors would do, it was like, oh, dude, I've been here before. I've had people much closer to me than you scream in my face and tell me how messed up I am. Easy day. And I look over and people are just crumbling next to me. And I'm just like, isn't that interesting? Okay. And so now they're just cold as hell. They're tired. They're miserable. I'm like, dude. Do you know how many nights I chose to go work out when I was working full-time, going to school full-time, and at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, that was the time I had to go work out, and I chose to, where these big guys were like, man, I've got all day. I don't have a job. I'm not going to school. I've got all day to work out, so I'm just going to pick the sweet time of the day to go work out, go train. I'll go relax, play my Nintendo or whatever they're doing, and then I'll just go work out again tomorrow, and then I'll go into the Navy. It's like, yeah, you can look really tough and big on the outside, but when you're tired, when you're beaten down, right? When you have adversity thrown in your face, are you willing to keep going? Unless you have known what that feels like, it's going to be a rude awakening. Buds is not there to teach you. Buds is there to test you. Mm. And those guys are tested and they come up short time and time again. And so the Navy's like always, okay, how do we mass produce these guys? Like, how do you mass produce Navy SEALs? That's what the government wants. Like, we would like just thousands of them. And it's like, well, you don't mass produce them, right? So in the Navy, now they created this these huge training centers to get these kids prepped for going in. Because like, obviously, if we teach them and they could do more push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups, they'll be able to get through and we'll have a higher pass rate. So they spent millions and millions of dollars of building these incredibly world-class facilities 
And what do we get? Like David Goggins says, because he was an instructor over there uh, towards the end of his career over at Great Lakes. And he said, you know what the Navy did? They built bigger, faster, stronger quitters. Yeah. No, because like this is the thing, like with regards to like doing anything like this. And trust me, I'm I'm not saying I've got resilience or anything like that to go what someone goes through to do like to become a Navy SEAL or like to become a member of the SAS art like over here in the UK. By all means, no. But it's a case of there is an element of this way before even getting into like signing up, you have to have a certain amount of going through mental ad- adversity. Like you can't have a sort of silk sheets life mindset, if you get what I mean, to, because yeah. you will get broken quite easily. It's like when you have a boxer or a fighter who's achieved everything and then it's like, yeah, it it's kind of hard getting out of bed and training when you've been sleeping in silk sheets, you know what I mean? And if you've got that sort of mindset before you go into something like say buds or any type of special forces training, I imagine you're going to be very ill-prepared and like, look, the sort of push-ups, push-ups training, everything like this. No. Um, like it's like, yeah, if you're going out, running for a marathon or if you're going out to do an ultra marathon it's bit by bit by bit by bit by bit all of the sort of training runs you do which sort of like if we use david goggins for example callous your mind to that sort of of pain and i don't think you can truly train for something like that in buds uh at all yeah and one of the things that came up for me and it was one of those insights for me in the moment mm-hmm. when we're on that grinder, I'm watching those guys quitting and having the instructor in my face and being able to detach. It's something I knew how to do because of that upbringing, because of a tough upbringing. Right. And all the way up until that point in my life, I always thought, man, that just sucks. Like it's not fair. It's like, why did I have to have all these things happen to me? And in that moment, it's really what I learned. I'm a big fan of that reframe. And I'll, you'll hear me talk about it all the time because in that moment, all those things that happened into my life, I go, holy shit. Everything I've done up to this point has trained me to be on this grinder right now. Uh-huh. And in that moment, I chose to take that in and go, absolutely, that's a gift for this moment. Mm-hmm. Instead of me being a victim and feeling so sorry for me, and blah, 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 and all the things I could have said about that, I chose just to spin it in a way that's like, wow, this is perfect. Everything that's happened to me up to this point has prepared me right for this moment here. Thank you. And now all those things that most people would say, oh, that sucks for you, I turn into a gift for me. That's simply a way to see the history in a way that serves me for my future. And I wish I'd give the gift to everybody that has a past that they go, man, if, if only, if I was grown up like this, if only I could, it's like, let all that go. Mm-hmm. Everything that's happened to you is now in the past. Now you get to have the gift of how you choose to make up that story moving forward. Yeah. 
I'm going to have to ask because you've mentioned this a couple of times. When you say tough upbringing, how like how was it tough? Dare I ask? Yeah, so it's like old school upbringing, right? So you know, when I was in elementary school, we used to get to paddle. My parents, my stepdad, liked to bring up the uh, the belt, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if we really want to get into it, uh, my biological father ended up shooting himself when, before, you know, when I was just a newborn, never got to really meet, like, not that I remember meeting him. He decided to tap out and shoot himself. Um, my grandfather, so my grandfather is one of those guys I never liked because he always, you know, he would, have you ever had that look from somebody who's like, motherfucker, I wish you were dead? Oh, <laughs> from um, other people just like you annoy me kid yeah he used to be that look and i'm you know just a you know five ten years old and we spend a lot of time over there single mom and we spend a lot of time at my grandparents place and he used to always try to push me away always try to get rid of me always tell me to go somewhere else get away from me i don't want you around me uh chase me with a pool stick there's a pool table in this house i'm like okay and I didn't, I never understood until, um, I have an older sister, two years older than me. Right. And we used to be over there all the time. And then one day when I'm 12 years old, I think it was, he got arrested. I don't know what he got arrested for. And then I found out that he was doing things to my family members that, um, you know, he was just molesting people left and right. And then it all made sense to me. It's like, holy shit. Now I understand why somebody could hate me so much. They didn't want me around because I was a nuisance to them. And then I went through a point where like, holy shit. How worthless can I be if I can't even take care of my sister? How could I ever let those things happen and let somebody that's that close to us do something like that. And how could I be so oblivious to what's going on? Like, I'm an idiot. I'm no good. Like, I just beat the hell out of myself mentally. I felt like I should have been able to do something different. And, uh, you know, once he went to jail and it, it started to come out into the light, um, that's where it was like I had an upbringing where I had somebody so viciously treat me away. And it's like any child's like, all I want to do is be loved. All I want to do is have people appreciate me or whatever it is. Mm. And, uh, so that was a great lesson for me. Like the feeling of, um, revenge, the feeling of like, just wanting to just crush somebody's soul. If there was one, but it would be my grandfather. Right. So I went through a lot of that process and uh, I remember like getting to the point where there's a point in my life, like probably 13, 14 years old. It's like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to kill that motherfucker. And then it got to the point where it's like, no, he's just an old man. He's not worth it. Move forward. Okay. And then um, and I love my grandmother. Like she was always awesome to us. But that was one of those tougher times for me growing up is having to go through that process of having to deal with people that just despised you for no reason. Mm. Didn't understand why until I was older. Right. And it was just like, huh, 
So be able to put up that facade, that protective mechanism when you have people treating you that way. It's like, okay. So then when that instructor was standing on the grinder at Bud's trying to, you know, shake me down or the instructors is like, dude, there's nothing you can do to me that was more hurtful than what I've already had done to me. And I suppose you most already, because of your grandfather, you most already could tell who was absolutely serious about it and who wasn't serious about it. Oh, you're just doing your job. Or like you go, oh yeah, Smith over there, he really wants me gone, if you get what I mean. Oh yeah. (laughs) And yeah, there was definitely instructors. They're humans. Some of them just like to mess with you. Some of them wanted to have you feel like they did when they went through and mm. some you just could do anything right for, right? And that's just part of the process. Yeah. Like you'd sharpen your knife, we'd stand in line and we'd have our little life jackets on going out for a swim and uh, we'd have to have our knives on us and we'd platter and they have to be really sharp, right? And so you have instructor walk by and, you know, pull your, you know, look at your knife take it and just run it across the grinder, the asphalt, the concrete, right? Pick it up and go, Hey, instructor uh, Smith, come on over here. Well, obviously, uh, you know, Rich didn't really take this seriously. Look at his knife. And you're just, if they want to see, will you engage them? Will you try to say they're wrong? Will you go? No, no, I, I had it sharp. Right. Because there's nothing you can say in that moment that will get them to go, oh, you're right. He just did it on the grinder. Oh, you did have it sharp. No, it's like you're about to get the beat down. It's not fair. How will you take it? How will you overcome when there's nothing you did wrong? Right. And people just freak out like, oh, you're wrong. No, I had and they'll argue. And you go, in that moment, can you just take a breath, take in the feedback, and then move forward? Or are you going to fight for what you think is right? And in that moment, can you see what's going on? Can you just let go of your own ego and having to be right and just go, okay, absolutely. My knife is definitely not sharp now. And, you know, now you're going to write me a paper, a five page paper tonight in that brief moment. You have a chance to get some rest on why I'm so messed up and why I don't feel like I should have to sharpen my knife. OK, no problem. Got it. We'll have it to you. Mm, yeah. Ah, interesting. Very interesting. Because like this is a thing that like. The, like the life experience we all have, like, yeah, good, bad, like sometimes the trauma sometimes is the foundation stone for, like, dare I say it, it sounds crazy me saying this, but sometimes for like greatness uh, for a lot of people from what I've seen, most people who I've seen who maybe it's, maybe it's a bit of like, how can I say um success bias or something like this but uh, like everyone i've seen who've like gone on to great things have had sort of like they've had a lot of things to sort of overcome in the sort of like formative stages in their life and sort of like being able to like take what you've been through 
And when you go through the whole sort of like instructors, like oh, your knife's not sharp, gives you that sort of understanding that, yeah, sometimes life is just shitty. It will hand out like it's blows to you regardless. Uh, and being able to sort of take that on and go, right, you can argue, waste energy, or you can like go, right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do better next time and be able to take, save that energy from the argument, which could be potentially there to like strive to go on to bigger things, to like take it, like take, to observe and see the bigger goal, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And one of the things that comes up for me is like when we were talking earlier mm. about that motivation, like I said, oh, why do you need to be motivated to even go to the gym? And one of the things that comes up for me and about our history, a lot of us have a tendency to think it's unfair. Mm. It was unfair what was done to me. Life is unfair. And it's the same type of mental game to play with yourself, which is like motivation. Whoever said life was fair? Whoever said life was supposed to be fair? Right? So if we fight for life to be fair, and we'll feel like a victim all the time, if we feel like it's not being fair. So if we just let go of like, I don't need life to be fair. Life being fair, fair for me is simply my judgment, is simply me thinking things are supposed to be a certain way. That's what fairness and unfairness are. If I can let go of that and just go, life is here. I'm so grateful for this life. And I'm just going to do the best I can. Whatever happens, happens. But mm. if I if I have this mental construct in my mind, like it's supposed to look a certain way, it's a uh, it can be a difficult thing. The brain will definitely seek out those types of things. If we just let all that go, and those are these mental models that we use. So one of the things that uh, I love talking about, and this is a good example of it, it's like those expectations and expectations not being met. So like the week after Hell Week, in my mind, I was prepared for it. Like, I'm ready. Everybody's fired up. And it's like, no matter what you throw at me, I can take it. You know, I draw sand in the line. And no matter what, I'd rather die than quit mentality, right? And I tell myself that. I would rather die than quit. And there are definitely times where it's just like, okay, my heart might pop. It definitely feels like I've been pushed like harder than I've ever been pushed. I might die, but you know what? Today's a good day to die. Let's go. And that worked really well to get me through there. And um, the week after, I'm like, okay, we're so jacked up. Everybody's messed up. I mean, some guys, they... They have all this inflammation, like the body does some really weird stuff when you're exposed to that type of trauma. And some guys look really like we all had hair missing and all kinds of stuff because we're running around boats on our heads, pounding us for a week. Uh, everybody had like folliculitis, these irritations from the sand. And like we're all physically and emotionally messed up from that week. And that next week, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, they have to let us rest. They have to let us recover right? Because it's not human otherwise. And so that's the shit that I was making up. And so the next week, what they did is we did like hydro hydrographic reconnaissance. And so that's simply us having to go out into the ocean at night and drift with the current and take these little depth soundings of the depth of the ocean floor all the way down the beach. 
And we're out there for hours, right? And we're just drifting towards Mexico, right? And we're just taking these little depths and <laughs> on our little grease boards, we're writing down the depth as we go. We're all in line and you just drift in line, right? And it's just, it's pretty surreal because it's like the moon's out and it's just really quiet and you hear the waves crashing in the background and you're just drifting with the current and you're moving down. You're taking samples of the bottom and charting and the instructors say, we know exactly what the bottom looks like. So you guys better not mess it up. You better not try to, you know, sandbag it. We know exactly what it is. You will pay <laughs> if you don't do it right. And so we're already beat down. We're already tired. And it's like two o'clock in the morning. We're trying to make these precise charts of the ocean floor. And we're looking around and I'm just dying here. I'm just like, everybody's like, eyes are closing. We're all just falling asleep, trying to do these charts. And in that moment, it's probably one of the darkest times I had in buds, because in my mind, I said, this isn't fair. You shouldn't be doing this to us. Right. And thankfully in that moment, one of our guys, one of my buddies looking around, saw all of us suffering and he just cracked some corny joke or just something to shift our mentality, right? It's a superpower. If you can say, if you can crack a joke at the right time when people are suffering and get them out of that moment and keep moving forward, it's huge, right? So he looked around, he saw it, and he made the right comment at the right time and pulled us out. But that was a dark moment for me because I had made it up in my head what it's supposed to look like. And that was a great learning lesson for me, just like, get over what I think it's supposed to look like and be able to adapt to what it is. Now, I think there's a lot of value and power in visualization. And like I tell people, hey, by the time I have this interview with you, it'll be the third time I've had this interview with you because I already planned it the night before that morning and my visualization, what it's going to look like and how I want it to go. And then when I step into the reality of the situation, it's like my third time doing it. So it helps calm me down to going, hey, man, I've been here before. It's not my first rodeo, right? But also in the same token, I'm adaptable to however it looks. I don't have an ex expectation on how I think it should go or how I think it's supposed to go. Because I learned that a while ago. If I have that expectation, it can go sideways. And then it's like I gave my own pity party. <laughs> well, I hope I have lived up to the reputation uh, on the in reality rather than the virtual version. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I understand that, and like this is the thing. Um, like m many of the jobs I've done, which have been like the crappiest in like my sort of my working career, it always comes down to sort of the camaraderie of the people you work with. And that's when I think the that sort of more jokes are cracked and the sort of more sort of having a laugh uh, yeah. is more important uh, rather than sort of just getting the job done. And like, yes, when it's been more of a, say, this is a quote unquote more professional setting, uh, you don't have that sort of camaraderie. You just do it by the numbers and you're gone. Uh, so you yeah. don't feel that bond. It's kind of sad, but, you know, it, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. And one of the things that we, I talk to people about building elite teams all the time and it's like, wow, how do you build an elite team? It's like the fastest way is to insert immersive 
training where there's common suffering, right? Everybody's uncomfortable and everybody's suffering together. And that's how you bond people quickly, right? So you look at sports teams, you know, and, and it's a, one of the analogies, like you may watch all these, like how often do these all-star teams come together and they just are just rock stars, team players, rarely, right? Usually sometimes you get these teams that play together in a way where there's like one living, breathing unit. And there may be no stars on that team, but man, when they play together, it's just like, it's amazing. And that's what we learned in the teams. It's like, can we come together? Everybody goes through, everybody comes with a seal has gone through this common trains, common suffering. So when you go into the teams, everybody's like, yep, you've been through the basics right now. We can pick it up. And that's one of the things you learn in the teams real fast is you think, you know, a lot of young guys come out of buds. Like, Oh, I finished buds. I'm, I'm the shit. Right. <laughs> and then you go into teams like you're nobody. Everybody else has been here. You're the new guy. Shut up. And you just fall back in line, shut your mouth, learn something from us, you know, that type of thing. Open up, be coachable. Cause a lot of kids they come in and it's like, we went to uh jump school in Fort Benning, Georgia. It's where they had it when I went through. And there were some guys that came out of buds thinking, Oh, we're better than the army. Like, cause we're going through an army school. Oh. Like, Oh, we're better than, you know, Oh, oh they, they try to, um, beat us so they make us do 10 push-ups right and so we're doing sets of like 50 in buds so we just keep on going there's like 10 and everybody's oh 10 and the guys are screwing around doing like oh we're gonna make you do two pull-ups and the guys are pulling out 20 pull-ups and stuff we're like oh you want more and but they were being disrespectful right and it's not a professional and so but kids are young and dumb and uh they think you know oh i've been through buds i'm a you know i'm a tough guy i'm a big guy and, uh, yeah, that was one of the lessons I learned real fast. It wasn't me, but I got to experience that. And, uh, they end up just getting sent back to their team and they didn't last too long. Right. So it's like, nobody wants to be around those type of people as well. Right. Yeah. So that common suffering is, uh, a real way to bond people quickly. So it's kind of like when you go through training, and if you're, if you're out partying with people all the time, you're like, oh, those are my friends, you know? Well, we take people through experiences where they train for like two days straight together and they're, they're hurting. They need to rely on each other. They work with each other to get through these experiences. They're tighter at two days and these people are at two or four years when they go out just drinking together. Mm. Usually when human beings come together, it's common suffering, that common push, that common uh, need to work with each other to be able to overcome that really helps bond people quickly. No, I have to agree with that. Yeah. Like, but with regards to say building teams, like I, yeah, I was watching, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, I was watching a quick snippet of a YouTube video where like it was either like he was like talking about where would you put the focus on would you put the focus on your weakest player or your like superstar and like he took the like he took um for for the american people out there soccer it feels so wrong he goes oh oh, i feel dirty i did dirty no 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 i (laughs) soccer as an example and he went yeah 
like normally the weakest players are the ones who touch the ball more. Uh, then basically it manages to work its way out. And like their star player is one of the people who touches the ball least. But in like a game of basketball, like, yeah, like whoever your superstar would normally like they'll like they can like he use LeBron as an example. He can like take it from one end of the court to the other end of the court all by himself and score, dunk, do whatever he needs. So the focus is there. Like, what do you like? Do you change your focus from like company to company or group to group? Or is it just like, yes, you go one way with it? So I, I appreciate stars on a team. Mm. The approach would be, let's make sure that we're playing as a team. If a star rises because they can score better than anybody else, awesome. Let's have them score better than anybody else. But the mentality is we are all working as one living, breathing unit. You just happen to be taking that shot, right? So it's just like, taking down bin Laden. It's a seal team. There's hundreds of people on that mission. Mm. And one guy takes a shot. Is he the star of the show? Maybe, but it took everybody in concert working together to allow that shot to happen. Right. And it's like, and that's just one of the examples. It's not that that person is better than it's like, no, that's the job. Just as important as the guys who are running the perimeter, just as important as the guys who are flying the helicopters or fueling the helicopters or doing the comms to allow that mission, the CIA agents allowing that mission to happen. They all have that role. Elite teams are like, I know what my role is. I'm no less valuable than anybody else. Somebody's going to take the shot. And if the team is really good, it's like, it doesn't matter who takes the shot. The only thing that matters is that we execute on the mission and that's where the stars are born is where the whole team wins now that's challenging right mm. so i can go in and talk to a professional sports team and i had before it's like hey if everybody does their job and we win and you guys win you know the super bowl championship the world cup you know the stanley cup whatever cup that you're going for everything else is going to work its way out right it, you will be taken care of you win as a team. The reality of it is, right, now the agent's going, hey, you've got three years in this league if you're lucky. You're lucky enough to even be here. You need to score as many points as you can because you've got your contract coming up in a season. So you better look like an all-star because nobody cares if you're a team player as much as how many points did you put on the board. Mm. So you've got that chirping in your ear as well, right? That's just the reality of it. Right. So how do you be a team player when you have these different types of pressures coming at you? And it's like, wow. And I also talk to coaches who are like, Hey, this guy could be in the league, but we don't trust him to be able to do the system that we ask him to do. So he wants to be an all-star, but he's not willing to play our system. So we can't trust to be him to be a team player. So it's, uh, it's very interesting. They're human beings, right? So it's like, what type of team do you want to be on? And if you guys are playing as a team, if we can let go and strip down the ego and go, it's not about me. And that 
a lot of this work is done in the teams. Just we call it the grinder, that concrete slab I was telling you about. That's to grind down who we were to become who we can be. Like that version that the Navy, the SEAL teams want us to be. And that's the team player. One of the things you used to say all the time is there's no Rambos in the team. It's called the SEAL teams for a reason. And can we strip down the ego enough to not make it about you, but to make it about the team achieving the mission? That takes a lot of work because there's definitely a lot of egos. There's definitely a lot of uh, different personalities, like in any group of people, especially high achievers, right? So you take somebody like in a professional soccer team, professional football team, um, there's going to be some big egos there because they've been all-stars in anything they've ever done, right? They've always been the best of any team they've played in until they get to that top level. Then it's like, most of them are like, oh, I'm just happy to be here. Some of them will be like, I'm the best here, right? But how do we let that dissolve the ego enough to go, if we work as a team, we'll be unbeatable. If I'm just being an all-star, we'll get crushed, right? So how do we work in the system in which that we can all perform? And you see it all the time. You see stars, right, that just probably perform about half as good as they could. If they would have just worked in that system, they would have been unbeatable. And some people want to work in that system and some people don't. And that's okay. You know, that's it's a human condition. That's really hard to overcome the ego and be able to go, hey, I will do whatever it takes for my team to win. Instead of most people are like, I'll do whatever it takes for me to look good. And it's kind of hardwired. We want to look good and be right. Those are really powerful drives within us, right? Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. So I have to ask, where where would you like your drive, your journey to take you in the next, let's go with 2023, 2024, mm, election time for you guys next year. <laughs> Already? Oh, oh yes. It never ends. It never ends. <laughs> uh, for me, my my goal is to pursue this concept of the impossible goal. So it's one of the things I'm developing right now is I'm talking a lot to my, my coaches as like, what's my niche? Who do I want to serve? Mm -hmm. What's the type of person that I just can't get enough coaching with? I just love, like we go away better people because we coach with each other. And it's like in 2023, I'm creating this impossible goal opportunity. I want to work with people that have these goals. I've had goals in their mind. Like when I planted that seed going to buds and it's like, that's crazy. Yeah. I love working with crazy people. I love working with people who go, man, I would love to start this company, but I'm afraid because, you know, I've got it pretty easy right now. It's pretty comfortable, but what if I put that at risk? And what if I fail? It's like, ah, oh, but I want, that's my person right there. I want to run shoulder to shoulder with those people go, that would be impossible for me to lose a hundred pounds. It'd be impossible for me to be able to sell my business in five years or to start a new career or to whatever, stop my career and just be with the kids or whatever it is like, that's impossible. And I just go, well, what if it's not, if it wasn't, would you go for it? And if they say, oh, 
okay, great. Like that's, I just want that itch. Those people with that itch just going, man, that scares the hell out of me. I don't know why I've got, it's like the people that have to go climb Everest. Like I've never had that itch. Like I've got no desire to ever go climb Everest, but there are people that do just like people go into the SEAL teams. Most people are like, so you guys are crazy. I would never do that to myself. That's okay. They're not wrong. Right. And the people that have that itch, it's like, I don't know why, but I just feel like I want to do this. But then I stop my, the brain, that brain stops. Well, you've invested all this time in this career. Oh, what do people think about you? If you did that and failed, it's like, shut up. Let's go. I've got you shoulder to shoulder. We're going to bust through that impossible goal that you have. Those are my people. Like those are the people that I jump out of bed in the morning going, let's go crazier the better. Let's go. So in 23, I'll be developing that like where I can just go, fuck. Yeah. That's an impossible goal. I love it. Uh-huh. Brilliant. Brilliant. Ah, oh. <laughs> uh, let's see if we can help get you there in like 2023 slash 2024. Now, yeah. <laughs> now, final question. Final question. Sure. Now, if there was one thing you could tell your younger self, to help make their life a little bit easier, a little bit better, give them a little bit of purpose. What would that one thing be? Uh, I would tell them, relax. The shit's all made up. Be uncomfortable. Have fun. That's what I tell them. Like, stop thinking, you know, the world will collapse and the blah, blah, blah. It's like, just relax. It's a story. And if it's a story, what story do you want to tell yourself? And go with that one. Perfect. Ah. ah, Richard, I have to say thank you for coming on today. You have been outstanding. You have been a superstar. And oh, yeah. How can they find you here, out there on these interwebs? On Let the interwebs. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Instagram, UVU Coaching. And on the, uh, my website, uvucoaching.com. So a U and a V it's U versus U collapse down into UVU coaching. So you can find me there. And, uh, those are probably the two best places to find me. Mm. Yes. Like I'll put all of this information into the show notes. Uh, so the description, so you can go out there, find rich, uh, yeah. Let him show you some of that seal grit, uh, say no more. And yeah, uh, please do get in contact with him, but I'd like to say thank you to you, my friends, my life warriors for sticking with us to the end of the show. Please stay well, stay safe, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic. Be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. And have a great day, guys. Yes. Peace. Ha-ha. And we are...